and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Auric, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going, man? Uh, it's alright. Did a lot of adulting today. You know, I, uh, I sold a van, so I had to go to the DMV. That was oh, nice. the DMV. And I had to go by the bank and had to go to the dentist, so you know, finally got a chance to relax a bit. Look at you being all responsible and doing horrible ungodly terrible things that no one wants to do well i kind I of have to mash them all together when i get time off and it's not that i got time off i just took half of today off and then tried to get all my you know main chores that have to be done during the day done in one go yeah there was a german comedian he was talking about it. he said i now know why you americans are so depressed it's because you have to cram your entire lives into two 48 hour periods a week <laughs> uh yeah that sounds about right. <laughs> like, he's not wrong, and I have an expanded theory on how so many of our current ills can be tied back to that, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. What are we going to talk about? Uh, well, we're talking about a lighthearted subject, which I believe is comedies, <laughs> aren't we? Yeah, we're going uh, to do like we did with our 90s action films and talk comedy. Unlike our 90s action films, I think we agree what is and is not a comedy. <laughs> well, basically put, if the point of the movie is to make the audience laugh, it's a comedy, regardless of anything else, if that is the primary uh, purpose. And you can usually tell if a movie is, its purpose is to make you laugh. Oh, there's a whole bunch of in-betweens, but I don't know. And it's funny, because I debated about talking about it here, but uh, Mel Brooks came out and said that he honestly believes there is no way in hell he could have got Blazing Saddles made today. And I have to heavily disagree with that, but... I think it'd be a lot harder, and I don't think Mel Brooks himself could do it, but I think it could be done, but... Well, okay, so that that's, is used by a lot of, like... It's used as a way to, like, attack what's seen as, like, PC culture, which, by the way, that whole phrase pisses me off, because it's like, yeah. most of the stuff that's considered PC culture is just not being a dick. But anyway, um, there's plenty of stuff that gets made today that is like absolutely insane and profane and like oh, wouldn't yeah. have been made in Mel Brooks's day. So it's, you know, no, it's the only reason I think you couldn't do it is because there's no way a white director can get away with some of the phrasing. I mean, people will say Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, but his bird finally came home to roost in some of the terrible shit he does. If you don't know, look it up. Yeah. That's, that's a matter of like holding someone accountable for their, you know, shittiness so that's that's yeah. a different kind of thing like but, uh, yeah uh, no I, I think it could be done it would just be tricky and i still love that movie as a it when viewed through its own historical lens because so much of the commentary that you look back on the 70s in that movie that's what makes it funny yeah it's interesting what things not here to talk about this but it is interesting what things like can be seen as still holding up even though they have like stuff in them that problematic comedy yeah yeah i think that really comes down to intent and quality like yes yeah but that's a whole nother like philosophical discussion like i said we're here to talk about movies that made us laugh so yeah so why don't you uh go ahead and start us off well you know what's funny so i i haven't done this in a while but i did this thing a while back where um i got the idea from you back in high school uh, where I was making my one top 100 lists of things. Uh, yeah. 
I started off with television shows. No, I started off. Yeah, I started off with television shows because that was the easiest for me. And I even shared like on my Facebook. I so it's not in date. I made it like four years ago, and I've seen shows since then that would definitely be on that list. But I still made a list of my 100 favorite television shows at the time. And the same thing for video games. I started making one for movies. I never finished it. But when you said you want to talk about comedy movies, I thought about it, and even though I love comedy. And I know I love comedy movies. I had a really hard time, like, just thinking of comedy movies that I love. I could think of plenty of classic ones, like, you know, uh, like Airplane and Caddyshack and, as you just, you know, Animal House, as you just mentioned, uh, um, Blazing Saddles. But those didn't really speak to me, necessarily. So I know exactly what you're saying, because I had a similar problem, because I think, okay, what is one movie that I can, you know, quote or talk about and I'll instantly start chuckling? Has a good, you know, uh, plot, holds up, and I can quote the jokes and not, you know, uh, regret it. Like well, I said, I love Blazing Saddles. I cannot say half of the funny <laughs> lines from that movie. Well, it's funny because the, the, um, the conditions that you just shared, for me, fit the movie like Snatch perfectly. But Snatch oh, God, is a comedy. Like I can quote the hell out of Snatch, and Snatch makes me laugh a lot, me and my friends. But it's not a comedy. It's, it's like a, it's a crime um, caper. I don't know what the right word is. I don't that know happens. how you would describe. It's an action comedy. I yeah. think. Yeah, Even, but it happens. It happens to be funny, but it's not really a comedy. So, yeah, it's more the absurdity of it all that makes it funny. Yeah. So then I, I just looked up. Um, I, I kind of cheated. I just googled like great comedies to see what single said and then tried to pick out ones that looked really good to me. So like the first one I saw that I was like, Oh yeah, I do love that movie was Shaun of the dead because yeah. I am a huge fan of Edgar Wright in general. And while I think most fans agree that hot fuzz is actually better. And I think I agree with that too. Shaun yeah, of the dead is hot what fuzz is the best. Yeah. But Shaun of the dead is what introduced me and a lot of people to Edgar Wright, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg really. So yeah, I mean, that was they were the, around the before that. trilogy. Yeah, yeah, but and they were around before that and plenty of stuff. But like this is, I think, especially this was the introduction for American audiences. That holy shit, these guys are funny. Exactly. Yeah, and so so Sean, that was the first one I I wanted to talk about because like I'm not a fan of zombie movies in general. I get it, and even before we hit zombie fatigue, which you know we've been in zombie fatigue since like season two of The Walking Dead, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and that's being generous. But yeah. even before that, I was never interested in zombie stories because, and this isn't like any you know, news to anyone, but zombie stories aren't really about zombies. They're usually about like people dealing with them using a, you know, a faceless kind of... It's metaphors. Like, yeah, and well, most horror movie monsters are metaphors. Oh, yeah. It's just that or the metaphor... Movies in general typically are metaphors in and of themselves. Yeah, but the zombie as a trope is is meant to be faceless emotionless personalityless because it i mean originally in the you know original night of the living dead it was uh depending on what sources you read a critique of what was being seen as like a uh, essentially a zombification uh, in like american culture of like you know things like television and shopping and anyway it was using the the literalization of that concept in zombies to like critique that while also making a good movie. And besides the point. So Shaw the Dead takes that 
concept that the zombie is just essentially people, but with the, you know, brains gone. And first of all, it plays it pretty straight. Like these are Proper British comedy. Yeah. These are old school zombies who walk really slow and want to eat brains. Um, and it's never explained where what happens or how it comes about. It just happens one day. Well, it, they do explain it. It's just do in they? the background. Yeah, you have to pay close attention to uh, every time like the main character's in a bar, there's like a television behind him in the first act, and you can tell a story going on about um, like breakouts and like you can see it building behind him. <laughs> huh. I need to go back and rewatch that then because I've always like that's like it doesn't really impact the story. Because the story is more about, you know, we were already were kind of zombies to begin with before this whole out, you know, outbreak started. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, I kind of want to know why. Yeah. So for, for anyone who possibly doesn't know, uh, Shaun of the Dead, which itself is a play on uh, Dawn of the Dead, which is one of the you know, great George Romero zombie movies, I believe. Um, I'm not a movie. But yeah, anyway. That's Romero. Okay. Uh, those names I mix up sometimes. But point is. Shaun of the Dead follows this guy, and I haven't watched Shaun of the Dead in a while, so I don't remember the names, but uh, I'm just going to go Simon Pegg, because that's who plays I don't think anyone remembers their names, they just remember the actors that played them. Yeah, so Simon Pegg is this uh, slacker, let's go with, Yeah, to be generous. He's a slacker. Yeah, who's friends with Nick Frost, they work in a pretty crummy job, he's got a girlfriend who uh, breaks up with him because he's basically passionless lifeless like she's just not a fan of you know he keeps like ditching her to hang out with his buddy and stuff he's not moving forward he's doing the same thing over and over again he is a zombie yeah exactly he's he has no ambition or anything and their roommate is you know uh like kind of a pompous dick who gets on their cases for being like you know uh parasites essentially (laughs) Uh, he's somebody famous but i can't remember who he's someone famous in the uk which is probably why we don't know (laughs) anyway yeah but then a zombie apocalypse happens, what? and uh, Sean and uh, his buddy Ed, that's it, Sean and Ed. I mean, first of all, Sean's name is in the fucking title. Yeah, we should have been able to pick that one out. But... Yeah, oh. I don't know why. I just so see him as Simon Pegg, because I know him and other stuff. Anyway, but Sean and Ed are the two main characters, that's right. Um, they, they realize it's like zombies, because this is one of those movies where, I don't remember if they use the term, I'm pretty sure they do, but like you get the impression yeah. that you know, zombie movies exist in their world because it's of the notable because they were the first zombie movie to actually use the word zombie in it. I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah, that was a fun Halloween fact I picked up forever ago. I always found that uh, zombie movies that don't use the word zombie, like it just it stands out like a sore th- a sore thumb. Like the fucking Walking Dead just calls them walkers, and it's like those fucking zombies, and we all know it. Anyway, so they come up with this plan to go get. Um, Sean's mother and her husband, Sean's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, Sean's girlfriend and her roommates, essentially. Or, well, not, they're not her roommates. They're just her her best friend and her best friend's husband, who's actually in love with her. Anyway, not important. Well, I but, don't know. Was it her husband or was it just his weird love triangle? No, I'm pretty sure it was her husband. Like that was the part of the joke is that he really, whether he realized or not, only married her so he could stay close to. Oh yeah, I remember they actually make that whole big declaration. And the wife knows it and is perfectly fine with it essentially. (laughs) So gotta love that light British comedy. Yeah. But they had this plan to get all these people, go to the local pub, which is their favorite place, and just uh as they put it, 
um, have a pint and wait for this whole thing to blow over. Which again, that's, you know, it doesn't work so much for us, but I think summarizes the pinnacle of Britishness. We're just going to keep going on until this is over. Well, keep calm and carry on, man. Yeah, like uh, Yahtzee on Zero Punctuation made the similar joke because when he's reviewing uh, We Happy Few, he's like, well, they got the Britishness down. It's like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to keep soldiering on doing the exact same thing, even come the apocalypse, because that's the British way. <laughs> well, that's that's the lot, the max. And that is the thing. A lot of the humor is like really, I mean, I think it's a weird uh generalization to say like british humor but there is something special about like british humor that's hard for me to put down in words like for instance it's a cultural thing yeah for instance a lot in the movie sean will have a stain like on his shirt that you know could be blood could be ketchup could be whatever and someone just points and goes you've got red on you and edgar wright because he's a director who loves to actually use editing to make jokes which, by the way, is something that not a lot of directors do. Like, he'll just be snap cutting through this sequence of craziness, and then just have somebody like, "Oh, you've got red on you." And by like the fifth or the fourth time it happens, I'm like dying of laughter, for, and I can't really explain why. <laughs> no, it's just it's the thing is, you know, if you were to ask me what to say, what my favorite jokes from this is. I mean, I got a couple, like, when they're trying to, you know, sort through what albums to throw at the zombie. I was going to say, that's, that's one of the best ones, because, to, uh, all right, generally speaking, with a comedy, sorry to interrupt you, but generally speaking, it's hard to talk about comedies because you either find it funny or you don't, and if you try to explain why you find it funny, you kill the joke, right? It's yeah. the classic idea if you can dissect a toad and figure out, you know, how it works, but the toad will be dead at the end. So, so um, without giving away too much... In general, one of the best early sequences, the first time Sean and Ed encounter zombies, are these two zombies in like their backyard. And they're looking for things to throw at them <laughs> to try to stop them. And but the zombies are so slow that Sean and Ed have time to like go to the shed, pull out a box of records, and then go through and figure out which ones are worth throwing. So like, there's a point where you know they go through and he'll say something like, "Oh, Queen, no, no, keep that." Uh, the Batman soundtrack, chuck it. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what I mean. It's like there is a few really good jokes, but if you were to ask me to say what my favorite joke from this or why this is funny, I couldn't tell you. And I think that's the case with all three movies in the Cornetto trilogy. There's a couple moments that you know you can kind of cite. But for the most part, you got to say, you got to see it. Because once you see it, then you'll know why it's funny. Which I, I will think say, goes back to there's so much visual comedy. I will say I know for a fact what my favorite Shaun of the Dead joke is, but I will not say what it is. But for anyone who has seen it, it's the sequence near the end where they're in the tavern and the jukebox turns on. Oh, God. <laughs> see, that shouldn't be funny, but it is. Yeah, that is easily my favorite sequence in the entire movie. Also, I have a thing for because I grew up on a lot of George Carlin and Christopher Titus. I like comedy that's willing to be really dark as well because I feel like when you take an audience, I mean, I, I'm quoting Christopher Titus. This is what he said, and I don't know if he came up with it originally. I just got it from him, where he said, "If you take the audience to the dark place, when you bring them back, the laughs will be bigger." Right. So, Shaun the Dead being a zombie movie. At the end, like it deals with some pretty heavy stuff. Like main characters start dying, and it's oh yeah, 
it's messed up and like they stop the jokes full on for like a good 15 minutes and just deal with the horror of what's going on. They bring it back at the end and it's funny again, but just saying like, I respect that. No, this is a solid movie. Like I said, I still like, I like think that uh hot fuzz is funnier and end of the world has more to say, but Shaun of the dead is just a solid all around comedy. In general, yeah, I'd like to uh, probably we'll talk about the uh, uh, the other two in the Cornetto trilogy at some point because all three of those movies, I love them all. Some people, I think, rag on the world's end a little too much, but it followed up Hot Fuzz. It's not really fair to compare that. It's still yeah, a and movie. some of the stuff that's come out recently about what Simon Pegg was going through during the filming of that makes it even better. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like I've um, gone on a bit long about this. So, what what's a comedy that really gets you? Okay, one of my favorite comedies. Of all time, like this is one I just kind of start chuckling whenever I quote it, is Super Troopers. I have a few quotes from that that I still quote with my friends, mostly the uh, shenanigans quote. Oh, God, I love shen- shenanigans. You guys talking about shenanigans? Oh, you, know, you said you, now you got to do it. <laughs> yes. No, I, like I said, this, I love this movie, but the first time I saw it, I thought I, I was convinced I was going to hate it. Yeah. Because yeah. the first time I watched this, was in my high school biology class. Really? What? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my science teacher knew she was getting fired at the end of the year, so she gave up halfway through. Really? Yeah, so we just watched inappropriate comedies like Young Frankenstein, Super Troopers. I guess, sorry, as, by the way, Young Frankenstein, amazing. I love Gene Wilder, yes. basically everything that man ever did. But uh, I got to ask, this this teacher... Um, do you know why she was getting fired? Was she just incompetent or was there was like a blend of incompetence? And my school, we used to have, you know, end of the quarter reward days. The class was good. You didn't screw up. Y'all got good grades. You got to watch a movie. And we were watching uh, some Owen Wilson movie. I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, you mean Dupree. That's it. You could have just called it. Whoa. Yeah. It's not a good movie, but no. it's what the class voted. It was out. It was new at the time. And uh, the teacher walked in during the masturbation scene. Or the principal walked in during the masturbation scene. Of course they did. And from there on out, the principal decided that she did not want to have the science teacher around anymore. So the science teacher went, just fuck it. What do you guys want to watch? And the class voted for Super Troopers. I hadn't seen Super Troopers. I just thought it was going to be a dumb stoner comedy. And I was super pretentious at the time. It kind of is, but that's not the point. <laughs> it's not. I want to say stupid stoner comedy. I'm talking, and this is nothing against these movies. I love both these movies too. Uh, Cheech and Chong or uh, Harold and Kumar. Sure. Those are dumb stoner comedies. So well, it's, it's funny because the group behind Super Troopers, and I want to derail us too much, but um, my favorite movie they made was probably Beer Fest, which I liked a little more than Super uh, Troopers. Oh, Beer Fest is definitely... solid, but it's not as quotable. Uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, to me, it probably is, but I get what you're saying. Go on with Super Troopers. So, so for anyone yeah, who doesn't yeah. know, what is for? I mean, it is kind of an old movie. It came out with a sequel that apparently wasn't good. I don't know. I didn't it see okay, it. It's okay, but it suffers from the same problem. Anytime you try to make a comedy sequel, it's just it's hard. Something about sequels and comedies don't work. Very rarely do they work. Anyway, when they do work, yeah. it's amazing, but it, it happens very rarely. But for anyone who doesn't know, what is Super Troopers about? Super Troopers is about, you know, this group of highway patrolmen in Vermont just dicking around. And eventually they kind of stumble onto this whole drug running plot and they try and solve it to save their jobs. 
But the majority of it is is these five guys just dicking around. And this is where some of the best jokes come from. Uh, probably the best known or most infamous one is they pull uh, this guy over, Jim Gaffigan, and they got a challenge to say meow as many times as they can. And it just escalates and escalates and escalates until we get to this joke. You know, do I look like a kitty cat to you? Do you see me, you know, licking a saucer of milk, hippity hopping around on, you know, and it just gets just so extreme out there. One favorite part of that whole bit is that at the end of it, when he's like finished with his rant, he looks up and the other guy is just holding up like eight fingers and like he's shaking. Like, oh, one more. Yeah. And so he just looks down and goes, meow, and walks away. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, like I said, this one. The majority of this not the majority of this movie is these just you know dumb jokes, and they did yeah. it in the sequel. And the sequel that's what works best is when again they do these dumb jokes, but they're fucking hilarious. Like I cannot go through a drive through without friends and at least one time going, you know what I want a liter of cola. What's a liter of cola? It's it's a uh, French or give me some goddamn cola. <laughs> uh. um, like I said, this works because it is so quotable. I want—I mean, I say I watch this one about once a year, laugh my ass off. Or the infamous bear fucker. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or uh, I also love the uh, I'm a cop. All right, one burger is for a cop. Does that mean you're spitting it? Hold the spit. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know that whole thing goes. And I think to me, this is a quintessential guys' night comedy. Because sure. you don't necessarily have to pay attention to what's going on. You know it well enough. It's a simple enough plot. You're not going to miss anything. You can laugh as a group as the movies. And I say, I say, I say guys, I'm not trying to be sexy or anything. But it's got that raunch factor that kind of appeals more to the male sense of humor typically. I also, I love in general, and I realized this while watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Because um, before Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I don't remember there ever being a a like comedy cop procedural i mean apparently there are some short-lived ones like um there's one that jeff goldblum was in in the 80s some uh 10 something and brown shoe i'm not sure about that but anyway point is it's not a very common uh thing necessarily but there have been plenty of comedies orbiting that kind of thing like you know the police academy series is famous and then things like super troopers so there's something inherently i think effective about setting a comedy in a police setting like it's I think, very apt yeah and i think it's because typically cop ones procedural ones are always very serious we're gonna catch the murderer we're gonna you know do this it's very you know gritty down to earth and this one they're just dicking around doing stupid shit well they're also highway patrol right so that's the joke is that the regular police stations see them as inferior so they or just the, kind of so are the you know the uh, the syrup joke, you know, they apologize. I'm sorry. Once these boys get all, you know, hopped up on that maple syrup, there's no stopping them. Freaking the just drinking maple syrup. Oh, God. It's nasty, horrifying. but it's also hilarious. It's horrifying. That's <laughs> what it is. Yeah. And no, like I think the, the Broken Lizard, you know, people, they did this, they did Beer Fest, they did Club Dread, and they did Slam and Sam, which I have not seen, but I guess is a lot better than a lot of people gave it credit for. I don't know. See, I don't even know that one. I like. I really like Beer Fest, but uh, and I Beer like Super Fest Troopers is a solid. And again, this is just a good, quotable, laugh your ass off comedy, and it kind of works in this fun little thing. It's like if you've seen it, 
and you know someone else has seen it, all you got to do is just throw out a random quote and they know. Uh, the number one one in my high school was, I'll show you where the wild goose goes, which is retorted by, I'm going to butter your biscuit. See, I don't remember that. Um, you don't me, remember that one? No, for me, the quotes that are uh, most common are like the, um, uh, oh, the one I've heard the most in my life is definitely the, you are freaking out, man. Oh. <laughs> uh. No. To anyone who hasn't seen it, I'm sure this is all fucking nonsense, but that's kind of Ulrich's entire point is that this movie is lives and dies on its quotes. <laughs> yeah. No, you need to, if you haven't seen this one, go see it. It is this is a solid fun get some group of friends together. And you know, drink a couple beers, watch it. I don't think there's anything particularly uh dated about it, comedy wise. Like there's not stuff that's like, oh man, we thought that was funny now. It ain't funny. It ain't no funny no more. So as yeah, as no. a side as a side note, real quick, sorry. Um, do you would you consider Twenty One Jump Street a a cop comedy, or is it just a high school comedy that uses like cop mechanics to get them into high school? I think it is a high school comedy because it's more focused about their experience in high school rather than them as cops. I agree. That's why, like, Twenty One Jump Street came to mind because I love Twenty One Jump Street and the second one as well. Uh, but I don't necessarily consider them cop comedies, which I think is this whole genre I'm just kind of contemplating lately with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So. No, Super Troopers 2, it's, it's got some moments. It's not as good. There's a lot of great Canadian jokes. They have uh, Tyler Labine in there playing a Mountie with a thick Canadian accent. Oh, it's I don't remember hilarious. that. That's okay. For me, just saying Tyler Labine's in it is like, support this because Tyler Labine is amazing. I... As a side note, we're not talking about it in detail, but at some point we're going to talk about Tucker and Dale versus Evil, oh, which God, is yeah. amazing. <laughs> so that is anyway. probably one of the best black comedies I've seen in a while. Yeah, yeah. But point is, Tyler Labine is the perfect casting for Coop in a Megas XLR movie, so I will always be in his corner. So. Yeah. So no, like I said, and I think this one again, sequel falls to the sequel of Comedy Curses. There, everything was done so well the first time around you can't really do it a second time so if you haven't seen this yet please go out rent it buy it do whatever thank me later i wonder what uh, the best i wonder what the best sequel to a comedy is like i might think maybe the naked gun two and a half just i've been trying awesome. to think what the best comedy sequel is and i haven't found one yet like there's some well, that i like but they're not as good as the first and i do not know why comedies don't lend themselves to sequels yeah uh we'll think on that because it's definitely not the sequel to the movie i want to talk about next which is <laughs> ghostbusters because ghostbusters 2 is eh like, at I don't, best. yeah exactly it's just eh at best it's not it's not bad it's not good either. I, I liked it when i was a kid but going back and watching it as an adult it's like oh this is just the first movie but not as funny on, and on the other hand ghostbusters 1 is a goddamn classic and a masterpiece, and I will hear nothing to, to argue that. It has Here's problems, the funny but... thing about Ghostbusters. I recently rewatched it because Slagathor had never seen Ghostbusters, and we're sitting there watching the slide, and I'm watching it, you know, kind of chuckling. She's not as into it, and it's like, you know, this movie's got some problems. Like, pacing's a, pacing's a bit weird in that one, but, you know, by the end of the movie, like, halfway through the movie, I'm like, was this as good as I thought it was? And by the end of the movie, I'm laughing my ass off going, okay, yeah, this is still a solid movie. Yeah, it's just that it, it spends a lot of time in the first couple acts, like, doing some establishing stuff. But to me, I still... Well, 
it's a comedy in that same kind of sense of like Shaun of the Dead, where a lot of the comedy is like spaced out. Like it's not a joke a minute kind of thing, which I feel like this is not a criticism of Super Troopers. So Super Troopers is much more of a joke a minute type of movie. Oh yeah, Super Troopers is fast and loose. Yeah, Ghostbusters is a comedy that when it does its jokes, it's mostly leveraging um, mostly two really famous comedy actors and their performances, which would be Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, because uh, Harold Ramis is basically playing a straight man, and I feel bad that I can't remember the actor who plays Winston, but he is oh, literally a straight man. Uh, Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson, thank you. But he is literally playing the a forgotten man. Ghostbuster. Even though he's super important to the entire structure of the movie. Anyway, I will debate people on that. But <laughs> when it's uh, Ghostbusters 2, I, I can't, I literally can't envision anyone in our culture, our Western culture, who doesn't know what Ghostbusters is, at least know the plot to it, even if they haven't seen it. It's one of those kind of things. Like, like meeting someone who doesn't know that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Spoilers. Like, yeah. it'd be, it'd be insane. Like, you, so... So I'm not going to go deep into detail. Ghostbusters is about a group of people who fight ghosts there. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Yeah, and that, that's some of the best stuff is the creative ghosts they do. And I don't think you listen, you watch movie fights at all on over on Screen Junkies or not. No. It's, it's, a really, it's a great show. But one of the most infamous movie fights they had was Name the Best Ghost. And oh. I forget what the other two were. But someone threw out Blowjob Ghost from Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and they, you know, he won because the other. There's no real argument to come back against that because he was so wholeheartedly defending blowjob ghost. It's a and, ghost that gives a blowjob. I mean, okay, that's actually laughing, my least so it's really hard, you know, to argue back when you're laughing your ass off. He's talking about the virtues of a ghost that gives you a blowjob. Yeah, see, like, okay, I'm gonna do a quote right now. It will not land at all. And anyone who doesn't know, like, who hasn't seen it, it's not gonna be funny. In but out of context, but in context, it's great. Like an example of the kind of jokes and ghost wishes I love are they're they're creating their business and they're interviewing for you know workers, and it just cuts to like their secretary doing this long diatribe where she's like, "Do you believe in ghosts, the supernatural, the occult, the theory of Loch Ness monster? Just all this crazy shit. shit." Yeah, and then it cuts to Ernie Hudson, and he's sitting there and he's like listening, and then he goes, "If there's a paycheck involved, I'll believe anything." Yeah, which. <laughs> I think, like, originally, and this is well known now, that was going to be Eddie Murphy. I'm really glad it wasn't, because he would have yeah. overshadowed a lot of what goes well, on. Well, you need a straight man, and that's where he works. He's just this great... Like, Ivan Rinkman does that well, but it's a different kind of straight man. Well, because um, Harold Ramis' character is supposed to oh, also be, is. like, the very crazy, super intelligent. Like, yeah. He collects spores, fungus, and molds by his own admission. So he's... He's an archetype, too. He's not a, necessarily a straight man, so I was actually, I'd say, incorrect to call him that before, but he's just not the same kind of wacky that Aykroyd and Murray are doing. Well, yeah, that's the thing. is I think there's also, you have to like Bill Murray comedy. If you don't like Bill Murray comedy, I don't know how much you're going to like this movie. True, true enough. Which is why I don't think this worked for Slagathor. I showed it to her. She's not a fan of Bill Murray. I understand why. Well, but... you know what's funny about Bill Murray? Bill Murray's comedy is... It's hard to explain because, like, when so when you look back at comedies in general, right, and comedies that are built upon a single comedian's persona, like my favorite examples of these uh, kind of movies are uh, Tommy Boy and Black Sheep for Chris Oh, I Farley. love Tommy Boy. I love Tommy. That's an I should have put that one down. Yeah, I, I I didn't think of it before, but now that we're talking about 
comedies driven by a single comedian. Like those are two of my absolute favorites, but those movies are built on Chris Farley style comedy and Chris Farley style of comedy is extremely expressive, extremely physical. Like <laughs> that's what he does. Right. But Bill Murray's comedy is a lot more subdued. It's his own weird deadpan. Yeah, I mean, that's why he's in like all, every Wes Anderson movie ever. He's almost like an American equivalent of British comedy in one person. Yeah. So, because he's still very, you know, American. And he's, he's very cynical. Like, a lot of his comedy is extremely, or how his, his deliveries are, what's funny about it is usually in like how deadpan and how like mean. This is an absurd situation and he's not even breaking a sweat. Yeah, I almost want to talk about Groundhog's Day, which is a movie that really is driven by Bill Murray's performance entirely. Oh, yeah. Uh, another one I really like. But yeah, exactly that kind of thing. You have to be into that style of comedy. Uh, now that I think about it, that entire genre of comedies, as opposed to, say, ensemble comedies, which Super Troopers is, and mm-hmm. even, I'd say Shaun of the Dead is more of like a, a buddy comedy. So the ones driven by a single performance, like uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with that's a uh, actually that's a buddy one. Cause that's Steve Martin yeah. and uh, John Candy. So, anyway, I think it's interesting to think about like how many comedians are driving a comedy. Now that I hadn't considered it before we started talking, but now that's an interesting topic. I think to roll around in my head. So Ghostbusters, right? Uh, written by um, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, right? Collectively, and I think a couple other writers maybe, but uh, I could be wrong about that. So because of that, like any scene that Bill Murray's in. He tends to dominate, but there are still plenty of, you know, jokes well, they, that really have nothing to do with have him. What the role that they add, and you know, this is an ensemble comedy because each one has their own style of comedy that you know adds to it. And goddamn, some of those special effects, some of them have aged a bit, but some of them are still freaking awesome. Most of them still look great, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it helps when your ghost is supposed to be like spectral and see-through. I feel like a lot of modern-day ghost movies try to take it too far, and they make it too, like, like too neon, and it, it looks weird then. Like, you know, stick with, like, weird, almost looks like old footage kind of stuff, and that's actually creepier, right? Well, do you want to talk about the reboot real quick? Talk about neon ghosts? Sure. I actually don't hate the reboot. It's no, nowhere it near... Fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's not as good as the original, but like I said, the original is a masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned. The, uh, the new one is... Is fine. Kate Hudson is, is it? No, it's not Kate Hudson. Why am I saying Kate, uh, Katie Holmes? No, yeah, no, I can't remember the names. Anyway, but the lady playing crazy glasses badass chick in Ghostbusters the remake made me laugh every time. And Chris Hemsworth yeah. playing a really stupid like Chris Hemsworth assistant. is funny. He's great too. So like, I love that. Um, I think that movie, that movie why suffered. It didn't it had a terrible villain, and because of that, the plot was kind of weird. And oh, the villain was bad. And unlike Ghostbusters, which I think was, is it wasn't a well balanced comedy. There was no straight man. There was no differentiation of the comedy. They were all just the same comedy, slightly tweaked. Yeah, and this this criticism has nothing to do with the actual comedy chops, but the ending that's basically like a fight scene, but with their rays, was stupid was absolutely stupid and indefensible as far as I'm concerned. So Yeah. No, I think Ghostbusters was such a good comedy, and the reason the remake failed like it did, and it's not because there was women, it's because Ghostbusters was balanced between they knew what everyone's comedy chops were and how to make them work and how to write from balance. Ghostbusters, the remake, didn't. It just kind of went, just all, you know, do whatever. 
that never ends well. Now, Ghostbusters is really quotable too. I've seen a lot of those quotes listed on like top 100 favorite quotes of all time. I think, I think uh, in the famous like top 100 movie quotes of all time, the um, the Ghostbusters one that's in there is when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Yeah, and those are words I live by because when someone asks me if I'm a god and they're willing to believe it, I will 100% say yes. I, I also like the um. That's a really uh, big twinkie. <laughs> no, I was gonna go with instead. Uh, is this true? Yes, it is. This man has no dick. Although that line nearly ruined that other actor's life because he yeah. has people yell dickless at him now, and it's actually kind of sad. But yeah. Anyway, um, because you know it came out in the '80s, it was so big, so influential. Uh, and if if for some reason you're you know a youth, because I feel like I've come across so many people who are you know younger than me who will reject watching older stuff because it doesn't look up to their standards, you know. And yeah, I've I've seen that, and I suffer from it a little bit myself. There are classic films I haven't watched just because I'm like, yeah. I I admit I think everyone suffers it a bit, but. I feel like you got to temper it a bit, you know, like yeah. for instance, I have a hard time watching original, most original star Trek. Like it's, it's right there on that cusp for me. But if someone told me, it. it's so cheesy and dumb, <laughs> but if someone told me that they couldn't watch the next generation because it looks really tacky because, you know, it was an eighties vision of the future. I'd be like, but the stories are so good, <laughs> you know? So, and so similar thing, right? Ghostbusters, as you said, it actually ages pretty well, but I could also see, you know, a lot of youths who... Bill like, Murray's a bit problematic, but other than that... Well, because he's basically a... Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Yeah, we're a, not... Do uh, not, you know, step on that landmine. Let people fight that one out on their own. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even going to touch it. Point is, though, that if you, for some reason, haven't seen it, you should. And if you haven't watched it in a while, you know, give it, you know watch it again. Have it's some a laughs. cultural landmark that kind of, you know, for film... Movie Bob does a great breakdown of why it really is revered the way it is. Well, in all fairness, I'm trying really hard not to steal any quotes from Movie Bob because, like, his his series really that good where he breaks down, like, he spends like an hour talking about why a movie was culturally influential, why it was effective. Some of my favorite content on YouTube because it's super positive, super analytical. But I don't want to just copy his material because his videos there go watch it. So I'm trying very hard. Yeah, to say my well, own. I, I totally understand. <laughs> He keeps stealing my ideas before I can get them, and I just can't help but go, well, fuck, you did it better. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to another movie. What What do you have? All right, I have Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Which I have not seen, actually. You haven't seen this one? No, I haven't. This, I don't know if it's a sleeper comedy or what the story is, but I remember when the trailers came out, and I just had no interest. I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. And then I remember there was a girl in my class that she was totally into it. And, you know, in my teenage brain, it's like, well, then I need to see this movie because if you like it, then obviously I'm going to like it. And then what's something to talk about? And then, you know, things go from there. Oh, that's uh, Russell Brand and Jason Siegel. Yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting combination there. And that's, this is that my Mila first Kunis? exposure to both of them. And uh, Mila Kunis, it looks like. I like this is a pretty star-studded cast. Is also uh, Kristen Bell. Cool. I mean, I grew up on a lot of that '70s show, so after that was finished, I was very curious in how all of their careers were gonna go. And Mila Kunis is the one whose career seemed to have continued the best. So. Oh, 
there, I forget how much I actually read a stat how much uh, the cast of that '70s show is making in residuals alone. It's really? like, oh man, they never have to work again. Oh, I did not know that. Now Russell Brand, I know very little about, but I know that he's really fun to just listen to ramble about anything because he's kind of a crazy guy. Well, he's batshit crazy. But no, no, back to this movie. So you know, I watched this and I instantly loved. Like, wow. That was really freaking funny. Well, since I haven't seen it, I don't know much about it. Can you give me a plot rundown real quick? Uh, The whole premise is Jason Segel is a composer in Hollywood, and he's dating Kristen Bell, who is on a brutal CSI parody. Mm. Like, they're, you know, it's meant to be serious, but they're obviously making fun of the procedural, you know, uh, crime ones with this corny, over the top acting and whatnot. And. They end up breaking up, and he is just devastated. His whole, you know, everything was, you know, about her. He was just so into her, and he's just heartbroken. So his brother sends him on a trip to Hawaii to clear his mind, only to discover that she is there on, you know, a excursion with Russell Brand, this over-the-top rock star that only Russell Brand can play. Yeah, obviously. Uh, no, one of the key songs that he serenades uh, Kristen Bell in the movie is called Inside of You. Huh. And it's exactly what you think it is. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically a whole comedy about him getting over her. You know, making friends, learning to move past her, realizing that, you know, it's not healthy to tie yourself so strongly to one person. He develops a relationship with Mila Kunis. He actually becomes friends with, you know, Russell Brand. There's a great puppet opera halfway through and in the end that's freaking hilarious that at one point was going to become a full thing, but I don't know what happened. That sounds crazy. I also, I love Jason Segel in general. Yeah. Like, most it's... things he's in are great. My, my favorite movie, I've talked about before, my favorite movie of all time is uh, SLC Punk, and he plays, like, the third best character in that movie – I only say third because the two main characters are really awesome, but like he's definitely the best side character in that movie. So Yeah, no, this was my first real exposure. I'm like, wow, he was really funny in it. And again, for it's the record, really funny movie. It's got uh, Paul Rudd's got a little cameo in it playing yeah. this beach bum stoner. By the way, for the record, Jason Siegel and Allison Hannigan are the only things that really got me through how I met your mother. So really Neil Patrick Harris didn't do anything for you. Uh, Barney's shtick got really old for me pretty fast, actually. I love Neil Patrick Harris. The guy is charming as hell. My favorite thing he's done recent, or uh, I shouldn't say recently, uh, he's actually done a lot of good stuff recently, but I'm more of a fan of him from um, Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog. I'm actually not a yeah. huge fan of Barney as a character. So eh. As a character, I don't know, but he again, his charmingness kind of helps. But yeah. Like I said, Marshall and Lily were what I cared about, and that's Jason Siegel and Allison Hannigan, too people whose careers I generally follow pretty well. Yeah, no, he hasn't done much lately that I'm aware of, but I know this was kind of his first big breakout into Hollywood, you know, territory. And again, it's a solid, I don't want to call it a rom-com because that's not really what it is. He also has great, sorry, I just going to say like Jason Siegel is, he's one of those uh, comedians who has oddly good facial expressions even though he doesn't actually seem to change his face all that much it's not oh, like yeah. it's not like jim carrey whose face is made of fucking rubber uh 
Jason Segel doesn't really change how his face looks, but he still expresses a lot of different things all the time. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. No, that. I don't. This one isn't really super quotable. Well, it kind of is, but it's one of those ones that's very contingent on have you seen this one? And this is a great one, I think. You know, if you've been in a bad breakup, it's a great one to watch. It's a breakup movie because it's all about him learning to, you know, get past that and become his own person. And for the ladies, you do get to see his junk a couple times. That <laughs> Okay. We have the uh, extended cut, which I didn't realize includes a 30-second scene of his junk front and center. All right. Yeah, sitting there watching that Slagathor, she's laughing her ass off and going, oh, that's something I can't unsee. Yeah, and no. Russell Brand, again, Russell Brand's being Russell Brand. Mila Kunis is being Mila Kunis. It's a good all-around, you know, comedy. There's not a lot I can say with it without you having seen it. But Yeah, I've just been scrolling through. I just typed in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and just scrolling through images to see, like, what else is there. I keep seeing, I don't know the actor's name, but he was, like, Kenneth in the 30 Rock. So curious if he what he's uh, in that movie. Oh, that's right. He's got the best one. So him and his wife are these two, you know, born-again Christians, and they've never had sex before. So Russell Brand teaches them how to have sex. Oh. As only uh, that... Russell Brand can. <laughs> okay, that's just a funny setup right there. But yeah, Russell Brand, like this, Russell Brand is just playing Russell Brand. Now, I do have to note, they did make a sequel called Get Him to the Greek. It was not as good. Oh, it's I know about only... Get Him to the Greek. I didn't this is, Get Him to the Greek is a sequel to this. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that why? Because uh, Jonah Hill's the main in Get Into the Greek, right? Yeah. No, Jonah Hill's in this one. He's a guy that's obsessed with Russell Brand's character, Alvis Snow. And it's Alvis, he's, Russell Brand's the same character in both movies, but I have a personal hatred for Jonah Hill. And Get Him to the Greek is not a good representation of what made Forgetting Sarah Marshall funny. All right. Well, uh, maybe next time I have some hours to spare, ever, maybe, uh, hmm. I'll give it a shot. Or maybe next time. It was time, on Netflix forever. Yeah. More likely, if you ever come visit or I go visit you, that's something we can do. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this is a great, you know, comedy. Because like I said, it's a good story. It's funny as hell. I think it's got a little bit of everything. Again, this is probably one of my favorite comedies. And just because I can watch it so many times. And I really want the Jason Siegel puppet opera that he was working on for this movie. <laughs> All okay, right, watch well, it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, well, I think uh, I think that gives us a good kind of like place to to move on to our suggestions. We we gave you some movie suggestions. We even tangential that that's not a verb. I'm, I can't speak today. We we went on tangents about other movies that are also interesting. So go check them out. Uh, so my suggestion for the week is, like I said in the previous episodes, I've been so busy at work, I don't really have time to do a whole lot of new stuff. <laughs> so I just want to talk about a song. That's it. It's a song. It'll take you literally about five minutes to listen to, but I listened to it over and over again in the car recently. And the song is Tactile Sensation by Tupperware Remix Party uh, with Planet Booty on vocals. I don't know who the hell Planet Booty is, but that's what he's credited as. So uh, anyway, it, it's off the new Tupperware Remix uh, Party album, Together Through Time, which I got when I went and saw them live in Utah uh, a while back. And I'm still baffled by the fact that Utah allowed a band called Tupperware Remix Party within their state boundary. I, I guess. I don't well, think like, I feel like Utah's, you know, if you're not Mormon or tangentially connected to Mormon, you're not allowed to enter the state. 
Yeah, but you know that Utah doesn't even have the highest percentage of Mormons in the country, right? Like Idaho oh, has yeah. a higher percentage of Mormons. I, I know. All right. Anyway, but the Utah waters down their liquor. <laughs> oh yeah. What I wanted to really talk about is that listening to this tactile sensation song, I realized there's a. It's not a genre of music. It's a genre of songs specifically that I think I really like in general, but I started realizing I have certain tastes for. And so songs about a person who's in a, you know, a place that's usually a club or a bar, but can be anywhere really, who sees a person is instantly struck by their like beauty or whatever, things like that, their look or something like that. And they're singing about like how they feel about that and their, uh, you know, what they're going to do about it. Now that is very vague and very general, but for a reason I'm going to do like songs like those. I like them the best when they balance sincerity and sleaziness. Like if you try to make the song too sincere or too nice, for lack of a word, then you get something like you're beautiful by James Blunt, which is annoying to me. That's not a comedy song in my mind. I don't know from where. Ah, well, uh, but if you try to do something too sleazy, then you get, man, I can't even think of a good, but you know, half a dozen like, uh, club Throw a dart from... at what's been topping, top, charting top in the pop music. Yeah, I think but, that was a sentence. But for instance, like one really popular song from I think two years ago that also fit this bill was uh, uh, "Shut Up and Dance with Me" by Walk the Moon. Like that was also I felt like walked a line between sleazy and sincere. But that song was like really popular, so I don't feel like I have to tell anyone about it. So this song, "Tactile Sensation," is. Yeah, literally about this guy's at a, you know, a club, and this girl walks in, and he sees her, and here's what's interesting. I realized as I was listening to this, the first part of the song is him talking about how he's going to make a move, essentially, and how he's, like, maneuvering himself close to her, trying to get her attention by dancing and, like, showing off. And while he's singing this part, the, the music behind him is very, like, it's fun. It's it's very disco-y, jazzy kind of thing, but it's also got these like, you know, drums and. But the second he sees her and he says the lyric, "When she finally looked my way," like the drums fall out and this like piano comes up. It's like <laughs> it, it conveys this idea that he was, you know, at first gonna try to like put the moves on her and be all sleazy, but the second he saw her face she looked at him then it's like suddenly he sees how you know beautiful he is and all that stuff falls away and his next lyric is you know i try to find the right things to say so like all of the the moves we get the feeling this guy has they all fall away in the face of this lovely lady and that's the sincerity comes through and then he kind of alternates between them as he sings but it ends up on this like you know he's singing about how just putting his hand in her hand makes a shiver go up his spine it's like it's just very sweet, but I don't know. It's a really fun song. I My throat kind of hurts because I was singing it a lot in my car just with the volume turned up <laughs> really high. Uh, and like I said, if, if you haven't, if you're not a fan, or if you don't know Tupperware Remix Party, because generally their fans are, you know, like fans of Game Grumps and stuff, but if you're just a fan of music, right, and you want a taste of what their stuff is like, because generally they're kind of like Daft Punk, but anyway. This is a good five-minute song that I've been really liking, and I will suggest it to people. So, All right. Well, I got a couple suggestions. And uh, one of them is a podcast, which I kind of realized is interesting that 
we as a podcast haven't talked about a lot of other podcasts and I listen to quite a few and namely it's just because most of the podcasts I don't li- I listen to I don't really think they need any more of a boost you already kind of know about them but uh, this is a smaller one I've really gotten into called uh, Word Funk all right I and like I don't know if you ever watched any of the content out of Renee Cut back when they were on Channel Awesome or not no but that's well, that's how I stumbled on I'm on his channel, and he has a podcast with a couple of the guys from Blistered Thumbs. He's been Blistered Thumbs. And it's just kind of a random, what do we want to talk about today podcast. Kind of like us. <laughs> yeah, but they're even less structured than us. I mean, sometimes they talk about video games. Sometimes they talk about what they happened over the course of the weekend. Uh, sometimes there's movies. Uh, disclaimer, though, if you like your politi- your podcast to be apolitical, this is not the podcast for you. They frequently go on political rants and tangents. Yeah, it's a, no. So that's kind of a thing. But when they're funny, they're really funny. And there's a lot of, and it's really interesting, you know, these stories. Because it says basically three guys talking about what's been going on this week. And uh, last week's episode was great because it was this one guy talking about his first time trying Arby's and how disappointed he was. And the other two guys going... What'd you expect? It's fast food. You gotta gotta set your bar at a certain level. And he's like, "Oh, come on! How is this this big back and forth argument amongst friends of defending or persecuting Arby's?" American red beef, yes, sir. Yeah. So again, it's just a fun little podcast. If you don't mind your podcast, occasionally, occasionally get political. It's a good small little podcast, about an hour and a half long. They talk about games, movies, whatnot. It's all around solid. And again, to keep consistent, I got another 40K book. Go for this it. one called Devastation of Ball. See, I, I see that you wrote down Ball, B-A-L, and my Diablo brain went, Burl! <laughs> anyway, go ahead. This is one of the newer ones to come out. They're kind of, you know, advancing the plot. And I won't go into all the needy-ditty details for, you know, non... Because you're not going to get 4K. Essentially, Tyranids, big bugs, invade the homeworld... Think, uh, think the Zerg, but way, way more. Think Zerg on meth. <laughs> meth, steroids, angel dust, whatever. All of it. It's a little bit of everything. And they're invading the home planet of the Blood Angels, Space Marines. Think Master Chief on, well, steroids. Aren't the Blood Angels the, um, the Space Marines descended from Sanguinius? Yes. Okay, so yeah, they'd probably be pretty badass. Oh, yeah. And basically every other chapter of the Blood Angels is coming back to Ball to defend it because that's how many Tyranids are coming barreling down on it. Well, Tyranids are not only like the biggest race, but they also swarm the most. So they're yes. like the biggest threat basically to life in the Warhammer universe. So it's a big... The first part of the book's kind of slow because it's about them, you know, organizing the defenses and getting ready for the massive onslaught that's to come. And it's kind of, you know, a little bit of slow going. And then the Tyranids attack, and it's all gruesome, gritty action you've come to love 40K for as they try and stop this overwhelming invasion. And they introduce what is now probably my one of my favorite things in 40K, if not in sci-fi, called thirst water. It's this weird element that occurs only on you know the planet of ball and a couple of the moons around it that appears like water but anything that comes into contact with it is immediately drained of all liquid that sounds unpleasant and they big these giant trenches full of it and the tyranids come roaring over you know these planes as they're firing and blowing and things are going and they just come you know toppling into it and they start to melt into dust screaming and crying and it's just glorious glorious violent sugary sci-fi hmm i mean admittedly the 
uh, you gotta suspend or disbelieve, especially with the Warhammer 40k universe. But uh, part of my brain is trying to think about the physics of how a liquid would osmosis the entirety of the liquid out of it. But I mean, you could have like a. It's uh, not really made clear if it's actually it's a liquid or it's a microbial thing or it's some weird xeno left behind ancient yeah, technology. That, yes. They kind of leave the door open, but it's just kind of this cool concept of, hey, look, water. Ah, the water's burning. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's like that. It's a good, fun, action-packed 40K book that you don't have to know a lot of the lore to enjoy. Cool. And it's been one of those ones, you know, this has been happening in the 40K universe for like three editions now, and they finally decided to resolve it, which is kind of the other cool thing. Yeah, so those are my suggestions of the week. Uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe because the more people that see this, the more we grow. The more we grow, the more we can do. Now, if you want to help this show, please visit our Patreon page, Geeks with Shield. We will have that link in the description below. And if you want to bother us on a more personal level on social media, we have a Twitter and a Facebook group. You can go and join, interact with us, find out what we're working on. And I will be sure to... I'll be sure to whip myself in penance for the shilling. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a rant about that, but I'll save that for another. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>